Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. Brand new Flyers Daily for the 7th of December, 2023. Flyers Daily presented, as always, by Ticketmaster. Make more memories live. And the Flyers will be back in action tonight. They're going to uh, drop the puck on a three-game road trip. That'll see them in Arizona tonight at 9 o'clock. And then on Saturday night against Colorado at 9 o'clock. And the Nashville Predators coming up next Tuesday at 8 o'clock. I'm looking off to the side there because I've now, instead of flopping around with my trusty paper printed out version of the schedule, I have it posted here on my home studio wall. Um, so Flyers in Arizona tonight. Coming up in just a minute, we're going to get to some first 25 grades. And not only are we going to grade, uh, we're going to do it by position. Not only are we going to grade, but we're also going to go, uh, if that arrow is pointing up, meaning the player is uh, getting better and their performances have been rising or if that player is flat or if that player is pointing down and his performances have sagged a little bit. We're going to go through goaltenders, uh, some of the D in this episode, then we'll finish the D and do some forwards over the next couple episodes as well. It's kind of the Flyers just past the quarter of the season poll. So we'll kind of, uh, I called it first Flyers at 25, but after tonight, it's going to be Flyers at 26. But I digress. Flyers in Arizona tonight to take on the Coyotes. Now, the Coyotes is a team that has surprised a few people heading into this NHL season. You know, a team that's perennially, easy for me to say, uh, picked last. But this year, through 24 games, they've got a record of 13-9-2. They've got 28 points. Uh, in their last 10, they're 6-3-1. They've won five straight games. And they are plus 14 in goal differential. They've been kind of the talk of the league over the last 10, 12 days, probably because they've won five straight and they've gotten it done um, with getting some, you know, some of the parts scoring, if you will. Uh, who are the five wins against for the Phoenix Coyotes? Well, here's why they're talking about them. Uh, the first win came over Vegas. They shut out Vegas in Vegas, two to nothing. Uh, then they went, uh, came back home and they took on Tampa Bay. They beat Tampa Bay three to one. Then they took on Colorado. They beat Colorado 4-3 in overtime. Colorado, like Vegas, another very good team. They beat St. Louis at home 4-1, and then they beat Washington at home 6-0. I mean, this is a pretty impressive uh, first four games of a five-game homestand for them uh, with those wins. I mean, they, they've given up more than one goal once total in the four games since they've been home. Well, let's go with the five-game win streak. They've only given up in the five-game win streak for five goals. So you're averaging a, a goal against per game. That's a recipe for success. And they'll get the last game of their five-game homestand coming up tonight against the Flyers at 9 p.m. Then they're going to go on the road, and it's not going to be easy. They're going to take on Boston, Buffalo, and then Pittsburgh. And then they'll return home December 15th to take on San Jose. But who's leading the way for the Arizona Coyotes? Uh, they're a team, like I said, that is going to get balanced scoring from many points in their lineup. Uh, Clayton Keller is leading the way with points, that is. He's got eight goals and 16 assists for 24 points in 24 games. So point-per-game player. Ten of his assists come on the power play. Four of his goals have come on the power play. Nick Schmaltz has also got 20 points in 24 games, nine of them goals. Uh, you took at uh, maybe a guy like Nick Bukestad. He's got 16 points. Lawson Krause has 15. They're getting some spread-out scoring. Alex Kerfoot giving them 15. Logan Cooley, a good young center, has given them 14 points. And Sean Dursey's given them 13. So it's really kind of spread out. There are not that one or two guys that are really carrying it for Arizona. 
other than maybe if you look at Clayton Keller and you look at what he's done on the power play. I mean, 14 of his 24 points have come on the man advantage. So uh, Schmaltz, too, when I look at his numbers, I go, hmm, nine goals leads the team. Is that a sustainable kind of uh, pace for him? Well, his shooting percentage right now is 17%. That's a big number. That's a really high number. A couple of their guys are over 16 but when you look at that, you look at 17%, I go, wow, that's a really, really high shooting percentage number. And when you look back over uh, you know, his career, he's been in the league a, a pretty good amount of time. 17%, he's been over 17% for a full season before. Uh, back in his days in Chicago, he had a 17.8. His first year in Arizona, that was only 17 games, 17.2. And then 21-22 in Arizona, he played in 63 games. 18.7, and then last year, 16.7. So maybe it is sustainable for his career, 14.5% shooting percentage. That is a pretty high one uh, in today's NHL by any measure. Uh, let's look at Arizona from a team perspective, where they rank in the NHL. Because, you know, when you look at some of the teams in the NHL, you look around this league, you kind of go, okay, where do these teams fit in in some very key categories. Well, let's look at points percentage first and foremost. You look at Arizona when it comes to points percentage. That's how you measure a team uh, really well. With that uh, four, or 13-9-2 record, 583 points percentage, that's 14th in the league. For example, Flyers are 17th in the NHL at .560. Uh, you look at for goals for, uh, for games played. This, is, this one's not necessarily an indicator of a good team. It's more goals allowed per games played, in my opinion. And, the, you know, the numbers kind of bear that out as well. Uh, but Arizona, a team that, you know, they can put the puck in the net, and they're getting pretty balanced scoring around their lineup. And that, that helps when you're getting it from multiple guys. And one guy goes cold, and the whole team doesn't go cold. 3.33 goals per game. That's 11th in the NHL. Uh, goals allowed per game is played. This is where they've been much better. This is why they're improved where they are. When you look at goals allowed per games played, Arizona is a team that, you know, they give up, I mean, really low number here. When you're under three, it's a good low number. And Arizona right now on the season is at 11th in the NHL, giving up the fewest goals allowed per games played. Now, this is an area where the Flyers have done well. They're the eighth, uh, or excuse me, the ninth best team when it comes to goals allowed per games played. 26.8, they are on the power play. Uh, the Arizona Coyotes, that's certainly much better than the Philadelphia Flyers, and that ranks them fifth in the NHL. When it comes to the PK for the Arizona Coyotes, 81.2%, and that ranks them at 13th in the NHL. Flyers, this is a good area for the Flyers. Sixth in the NHL in the PK, 85.4%. And the Flyers, we know, uh, have scored a bunch of shorthanded goals as well. So those are all good things. So tonight it'll be the Flyers in Arizona to take on the Coyotes. Um, not quite a rivalry renewed after eight straight games against Metropolitan Division opponents, but nonetheless an opportunity for two points against a team that's playing very well. All right, let's get to our first and twenty or our first twenty-five grades right now. And here's what we're going to do. Here's the categories of uh, how we're going to do this. We're not going to do them all in this episode. Uh, this will take a couple of episodes to do, but I thought it was a good time. It's a decent enough sample size to go, okay, it's still only a little more than a quarter of the season. 
Uh, but it's a decent chunk of games. Because sometimes, I mean, if you're doing grades on a season just 10 games in, you know, sometimes a player can play really well for 10, and then the other 72, they're not good enough. And so 25 games is a decent sample size for guys to get hot, guys to go cold, guys to have to come back and play better, and guys for guys to cool off. So I think it's a decent sample size. So first 25 grades. Um, we're going to go grades on the team in total. We're going to do grades on coaching. We're going to do grades on individuals. We're going to go goalies and D. We're going to go forwards. We're going to hit it on everybody. And like I said before, too, we're also going to go as their arrow pointing up. Are they playing? Are they progressively playing better? Are they moving in the right direction? Is their arrow flat or is their arrow pointing down of late? Uh, then we're going to get into special teams. We'll talk about the power play. That's not going to be a good grade. Even though the arrow might be pointing up and it's been better lately, it's still going to be a failing grade overall through 25 games. Penalty kill, we'll do that one as well. Uh, we'll talk about the culture around the team and much more. But let's start first and foremost with the team overall, where they are as a team. Now, I just mentioned, you know, where they're ranked in the NHL and points percentage. They're 17th in the league. You know, coming into the season, we, we talked about expectations. I weren't wasn't sure what my expectations would be. There were some pretty significant changes when you look at the loss of your top defenseman and a guy that played every game and played the most minutes of every game in Ivan Provorov. Uh, there was the loss of Kevin Hayes, who last year was second on the team in scoring and was a guy that had a huge personality and was a, a big free agent acquisition a few years prior, uh, heading into that 1920 season. And then obviously the loss of James Van Riemsdyk, and there was a couple others as well. Uh, but you, you know, we were trying to figure out what is the expectation for this team? How are we going to measure progress? With those losses, are they actually going to finish with less standings points than they did the year prior, this year? Or were, you know, were they going to outdo themselves? Or, and could we measure progress just by if they uh, had more standings points than the year prior? I mean, look, at this point last year, the Flyers had already gone through a 10-game winless skid. So to, to not have gone through that in the month of November and within November's over the last handful of years or last half a decade have been pretty rough around Flyerland. Um, it's good that that part of the equation is better. So when you look at the team in total, based on the expectations I had coming in, you know, and given where they are at the moment, I, I give them a B, B plus. The record's improved. It's five wins better than the year prior. Um, it's not an insane record improvement. You know, 13-10-2 is decent. They're third in the Metropolitan Division. I certainly didn't expect that. That wasn't part of my expectations. But I give them a B plus. I think they've done well. I think they've had some games that were some clunkers. Obviously, that San Jose game is one. Second game of the season against Ottawa was a, a game where they just got severely outplayed and lost that game 5-2. to two. I mean, for the most part, though, they've showed up every night. They've gotten collective good efforts. So, I mean, when you look at the team as one big entity, I think you give them a solid B or a B plus through 25 games where they are. I'm not going to give them an A. I mean, it, to, to earn an A in this situation, they'd have to have a record of, you know, through 25 games of about 16, 4, and 5, or 16, 5, and 4. They're short of that. So they get the B, B plus range. Um, coaching. Now, this is a polarizing one. You know, there's still some people out there beating their drum 
that John Tortorella is the wrong guy for this team in a rebuild. They're not rebuilding because he wants to win every game. I got news for people. I God, I cannot wait to have these dumb conversations any longer about the rebuild. I got news for people. Any coach the Flyers would have hired would want to win games. Any coach. There is not a coach you're going to be able to hire that's going to be okay losing games. There's not going to be a Brett Brown like they hired for the NBA who was okay with losing games. Now, Brett Brown wasn't. He was still coaching to win, but he was on board with the organizational philosophy of the process. You're not going to find that in hockey. And if you do, keep that guy away from the team that you root for because that is willfully, willfully bringing an infection to your organization. And some people still go, oh, well, Torts is misusing all these young guys. He's not playing the young guys. But, like, the growth of young players like York or Sam, I'm saying I'm middle, but, you know, York and Cates last year and Tippett and Tyson Forster and, you know, Travis Konechny, another, mid, you know, middle of his career player and other young players. And I don't get any credit for that. They would have developed on their own. And they, maybe they would have. We don't know that. You know, coaching is a part of development. It's a quite large part of development, which, frankly, the Flyers have screwed up for a decade. So we complained about how coaching and development were all messed up, but now some don't want to give any credit to coaching and development when it starts working. They say it's the player. Anyway, um, the one reason why I give coaching in total an A-, and I'm just really talking about John Tortorella here, you know, Rocky Thompson saddled with the with the power play, which obviously hasn't been good. The penalty kill's been really good under Bradshaw. But really, I'm focusing this more on John Tortorella. And look, full, full disclosure, you guys know this. And before I was doing Flyers Daily in a thousand plus episodes, I was doing my radio show. And when the minimal amount of time that we did talk about hockey, I, for years... Four years, going back probably to about 2004, when I was on the air at the other at uh, WIP, I was beating the drum for a guy like John, like John Tortorella, to be here. So I just thought he made sense for this city, from just so many standpoints: cultural, the way the fans like their teams to play, the way he brings accountability and fire and brimstone, all those things. I was fully a John Tortorella guy. Not to mention, some a lot of people in the media resented John Tortorella for the way some of his interactions in the re- media. I never did. I always found them entertaining, and I, 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 I always believed that a lot of that was him taking the bullseye off his players and moving it squarely onto him, which players love. By the way, if you didn't see the clip of Michael Delzato, former Flyer. He played for John Tortorella, I think at a couple stops, maybe New York and Columbus. Uh, but Michael Delzato talked about playing for Torts. He was on Spit and Chicklets. Uh, look that up on Twitter and hear what he had to say about playing for John Tortorella. He said, I wish I played for John Tortorella my entire career. An emotional guy, but you always knew where you stood. You always knew what he thought. And he loved it. And there's a lot of players that do. The narrative, he said that John Tortorella is the most misunderstood coach in the NHL. And I think that as well. But what John Tortorella did this year that earns him the A-. Look, I have some questions about 
some usage and lineup decisions and, you know, and, you know, putting Morgan Frost in the press box as often as he did in a very pivotal year for him when he had a good finish to last season. You know, Noah Cates at center or wing. You know, there there are some question marks. He's not perfect. But the one thing that he's done that I think has been brilliant is the fact that he completely changed a philosophy of his. Now, or a system, if you will. It's not completely changed, but the rapidity in which they they accelerated the way they play is really the big thing. Now, when we talk about systems and coaches in sports, you know, we call them systems and structure and philosophies. But a lot of times those systems, philosophies, and structures for a coach, they're not that. They're religion. It's what they absolutely believe in, that the way, the game should be played that way. But if you're a coach and you've been coaching over a span of 20 years like Torts has, you better evolve because you can't win games in the league the way you did in 2002. You can't win games in the league the way you did in 2011 with the Rangers or 2017 or 16 with the Columbus Blue Jackets. You're not going to win that way. you got to keep changing, and you also have to change with your talent. But what Torts did this year with the, the, the way they play much more aggressively in the offensive zone, the way they play – uh, defending the neutral zone in their own blue line and in transition, which is n- not a little faster, not a lot faster, insanely faster. Now, that, it's come with risk, and we've seen the risk. You know, the odd man rushes the other way against the Rangers. We saw it against the Penguins on Monday night. That's how Sidney Crosby scores the goal. Um, we've seen players bench because they didn't read the coverage right to get back and, and you know, cover for a pinching D or whatever it is. But – and and then last week he says the reason why we're doing this and playing this fast in transition attacking hockey is that when guys like Cutter Gauthier, or as he called him the Mad Russian, Matvey Michkov comes over, we're already used to playing at that pace. That's playing chess, not checkers. Thinking a couple moves in advance. Start getting the guys playing this way, even though you don't have all the tools to play this way just yet. And then when you have those pieces that are coming, that this way is perfect for in Gauthier and Michkov, you'll already be way ahead of the curve. You won't be chasing that style of play when they get here. You'll hit the ground running. And I think it was a brilliant decision. Not only is the game a thousand times more fun to watch, it is worked for them. They're scoring more. They're scoring off the rush. I mean, last year they couldn't score off the rush. They couldn't obtain the zone well because they were playing right into team structure, right into their neutral zone structure, and it just wasn't working. The fact that he went away this summer, John Tortorella, talked with Danny Briere and Keith Jones and his coaching staff and came back and said, we're going to attack like this, and we're going to play in transition like this, to me earns them the A-. minus. It just does. That earns them the A-, minus, in my opinion. All right, let's get to special teams in this episode. We'll get to D in tomorrow's and forwards and goalies in, in, in coming up episodes. Um, special teams. Let's start with the power play. It's an absolute F. It's the fifth worst in the NHL. They have some talented players, I think, that can play power play. Maybe lacking the one guy as the pseudo quarterback, whether that's a quarterback on the blue line or that's a quarterback on the half wall, i.e. like Drew was in his prime. But they do have some talent out there that can score and some guys that have had power play success. 
fifth worst in the NHL. Two, and again, this is overall on the entire 25 games. Two static, not not enough guys moving, um, a lack of creativity a lot of times, inability to obtain the zone well if they don't win the draw. Um, they're at 12.2% in a league where, you know, power play percentages are higher than they've ever been. And it just hasn't been good enough. Now, it's been better of late. They've scored a couple power play goals in one game, and uh, they've gotten a couple other ones. So that's good. It is pointing up. Um, but overall, through 25 games, the power play's been an F. There's just no doubt about it. The penalty kill, on the other hand, has been an A. I mean, the penalty kill is sixth best in the NHL. They're killing off by the opposition, or their penalties, by the way, at 85.4%. And they've gotten good goaltending. Your goaltender's got to be your best penalty killer. They've had that. We saw that against, I think it was the Devils. Yeah, it was the Devils on that power play. Low to high play. Uh, Hugh, Jack Hughes, to I can't remember who the player was out in front. Two chances, and Carter Hart came flying over. Wide open net. It was Holtz. Holtz gets the first shot on him. There's a rebound. Then a wide open net. And Carter Hart comes flying over, just competing his ass off, and gets a blocker on it. You know, you've gotten good goaltending, and that's a big part of penalty killing. But the really the other part of the penalty killing is the fact that the Flyers are so good shorthanded. They're so good shorthanded. They've got guys that can kill penalties effectively just from a killing the penalty standpoint. And then there's the shorthanded goals as well. That's a big element of their shorthanded as well. Not only do they kill off 85.4%, but they generated offense on a number of occasions and scored on it. So that gets an I should actually probably move it up to an A+. If it was top five and they had that many shorthanded goals, I would probably, I would probably move it up to an A+. But it's a solid A. And um, I'm not going to say that's pointing up, down, or anything. Um We'll just leave their arrow flat for now. So that's the uh, first grades for the first 25. The team is a B plus, Coaching, an A-. minus, Power play, an F. And penalty kill, a solid A. Tomorrow we'll definitely get the goalies and at least half the D. Uh, but we'll also recap tomorrow the Flyers-Coyotes game tonight in Arizona. So enjoy the hockey tonight, and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow on a brand-new Flyers Daily.